Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So if you haven't heard, the schools right now are a petri dish of various illnesses. We got the Rona still floating around. We got the flu going around. We got the respiratory ailments going around. They've got some mystery thing going around. We have the stomach flu going around. It's been crazy. And I've been in classrooms that literally start off with like 10, 12 kids in it. And by the end of the period, you're down to like eight kids because four of them are sick or throwing up or it's just been nuts. So I finally did catch something. Billy and I were walking the other night and I turned to her and I'm like, you know, it's only a matter of time before I catch something. I've been surrounded by really sick kids. A lot of them are coming into school completely ill. So the other day I was doing breakfast duty and I hear one of the cooks scream. One of the kids was waiting in line to get his breakfast and passed out, fell on his head. It was horrifying. And come to find out, we got, you know, I get the kid up, he sits up, the principal comes over and she's like, were you sick last night? Yeah, he was up throwing up all night, completely dehydrated and the parents sent him to school. So this is what we've been getting a lot of. I've been surrounded by sickness. So long story short, I'm sick now. It looks like I finally picked up the flu. It's been a while, hasn't been terrible, but Woke up this morning and congested, as you can probably hear, and my chest is, anytime I take a deep breath, it sounds really bad. So I was going to skip doing the podcast today. I told Billy, I'm like, I don't know about it. I don't know if I can sit here and do it. But then I got an email from somebody, and they were saying how much they enjoy, they look forward to the podcast every Sunday evening. They work late, and I'm like, you know what? What the heck? I can pull it off. So we're going to do the podcast today. This one is going to be about cleaning, cleaning our enclosures, cleaning up spot cleaning, All the things we need to talk about about cleaning tarantulas. And again, none of this is set in stone. I want to make that very, very clear. Everybody's got their own thought about when to clean, how to clean. I've got some things that I believe that maybe not everybody believes in. Whatever. We're going to go through what I do as far as cleaning is concerned and talk about some of the ways to clean different types of enclosures and when we should worry about cleaning, when we should worry about completely redoing an enclosure, stuff of that nature. One of the questions I get from a lot of folks that are new to the hobby because you're used to keeping other animals that you have to clean quite a bit is how often do I have to completely clean out the enclosure? Because again, they're used to keeping other animals that you have to take the animal out, clean the whole thing out, whether it be a gerbil, hamster, whatever you're keeping, birds, you have to clean the papers. Whatever it is, you usually at some point have to take everything out. In a lot of cases, you don't have to do that with tarantulas. They are overall very clean animals. They don't necessarily, they don't lay out like big giant poops like dogs do. It's more of a watery thing that kind of, if in best case scenario, sinks into the substrate. Worst case scenario, it gets peppered all over the side of the enclosure. When they eat, they leave behind those little crusty boluses, which are the food remains. After they finish eating it, they drop it somewhere. Usually they drop it like in the same spot. Most of them will find a spot either, sometimes just the water dish, which kind of stinks when they do that. But other times it'll be like around the water dish, a certain corner. So they're relatively clean animals. So for the most part, we're not going to be doing a heck of a lot of cleaning with them. Let's start with like slings and juveniles to start off. I had people ask how long, how often should you clean slings and juveniles? You honestly shouldn't have to ever clean a sling and juvenile enclosure as far as like replacing the entire enclosure or gutting the whole thing and putting new substrate in. All you have to worry about is spot cleaning. And by spot cleaning, I mean, you look for those little teeny tiny boluses if you can find them and you pluck them out with a pair of tweezers and that's about it. If they poo on the side of the enclosure, put little dots and that's bothering you, you can clean that off. If there's some mold, you can scoop that out with a spoon. But that's really about it. The only time you run into trouble, usually in sling enclosures, is it can be difficult sometimes to spot the bosses and recognize where they are. And what will end up happening, is especially if you have slings, that you're, most slings you're keeping moist, you're putting some moisture in there, you end up moisturizing or putting some moisture into those bolises, and then you'll start getting the mold. And that's something, you know, if you get that fluffy mold, you want to get that out of it. Not as deadly. I know when I first got in the hobby, everybody was talking about mold, like they're freaking out. I got some mold. What do I do? Do I change the whole thing? 
a lot of the stuff we get is not harmful to the spiders. You can just scoop out. If you get a little fuzzy mold in this corner, you just take a little something, a little spoon. You scoop that area out. You take it away. Or if you can, you let that, after you scoop it out, you let that area dry out. The mold usually goes away, no problem. We do get that yellow fungus. And it, just to clarify, that yellow stuff that comes in cocoa fiber, and we get it in just about everything, is completely harmless. It's, it grows up into those almost alien-like mushrooms that can grow seemingly overnight. They grow up, they die, they fall down. I've never had an issue with any spiders that have that in their enclosure. So is it a little unsightly? Yes, sometimes. Does it, have, it has that sweet smell to it that I can't stand because back in the day I thought it was all deadly, so I was freaking out every time I'd open up like, oh, no, and I'd rechange the whole thing. Don't worry about that yellow stuff. I have not had any issues. I've spoken to folks that know more, a lot more about fungi than I do that have said flat out that it's not an issue. That they, I knew one guy that said that he had basically raised spiders, had sacks and slings with enclosures that had that mold and had no problem whatsoever with it. So don't panic about that. But usually with slings, it's not a big deal. Now, the only time I would completely change a sling out, and this is kind of important, is if I've had situations before where I put a prey item in, maybe I put in pre-kill, it drags it down to its burrow, and it's a moist enclosure, obviously, the sling eats it and then leaves the remains down there and they start to de uh, decay and mold. I don't like that. I think of that something, when, especially if you're keeping them in a dram vial or if you're keeping them in a deli. Deli cup's a little better because I think they just naturally get a little more circulation because of the way the tops fit on the bottom. But if you're using something that doesn't have as much ventilation in it and you get a dead prey item that starts decomposing, that's a spot where I've rehoused before. So when asking, when do I go ahead and rehouse? When I clean? If I see something like that, I start seeing there's this fluffy white mold that'll grow out of it. And if anybody's seen it before, you know what I'm talking about. And it's usually on organic things, it seems. You, if you see that, and it's not the, hopefully not the spider, which would mean the spider's obviously dead, but it's the prey item, that's a spot where I'll go, you know what, even if I didn't plan on rehousing at that point, I will go ahead and rehouse. And the good thing about sling rehousings is they're generally easier. And I usually take that as an opportunity to just get it into a larger enclosure. So that's the only spot you should be doing a full overall cleaning with a sling, in my opinion. If, if there's a mold explosion, now if you have that yellow stuff and it's like all over the place... I could see doing it then because it will start to take over the enclosure. I'm talking about with larger enclosures, you get a little bit of that. It's not a problem. But with the smaller ones, I I haven't had it happen before. But I guess if somebody were to look in there and see that stuff blowing up all over, mushrooms trying to grow. Yeah, it's probably, A, it's probably a little too moist in there. B, probably better to get it out, get it into something different. But that's about it. Scoop, you know, scoop up any spot, offending spots with poop or any possible mold or fungus and pluck out the boluses and that's it. And the thing is with slings and juveniles, it's one of the reasons I don't spend a lot of money on sling and juvenile enclosures. Usually they're not going to be in there for the most part for all that long. And for the species that are going to be in there for a long time, we're talking about again, our fauna pelma, our grandma stola, our brachypelma species that the slow growing ones, you're going to be keeping it mostly dry anyway. So you shouldn't run into a lot of problems with the, you know, that you'd run into with a more moist environment. So yeah, for slings and juveniles, it should be fairly easy. And if you get to a spot where you think you need to rehouse it, best advice I give you, make the most of it and do it, make it a full rehousing, put them into something bigger. Usually it's not going to happen right off the bat. Like if you get a half inch spider 
and you immediately start getting things in there that's it's molding, whatever, it's probably not a good setup for it. You probably need some more ventilation or whatnot. Usually stuff like this happens a ways down the road, and by that point, most species have already molted a few times or probably, even if they haven't completely outgrown that enclosure, they can do with a larger enclosure, so then you just upgrade, and I've done that before. There's nothing wrong with doing the better safe than sorry. If you have a question, if you look at it going, I don't know, getting a little mold, I'm not sure if that prey in them came out, whatever then yeah, fine. Go ahead and rehouse them. Again, we've talked about before the rehousing is a little bit stressful for them, but most of them settle in quite quickly. So we've grown up our slings and juveniles. They are now adults. Let's first tackle the arid species, the arid, we'll just go arid terrestrial species. You may never have to change the substrate if it remains mostly dry. I had the queen on probably total three batches of substrate in the 25 years I had her. Now, granted, some of that was due to the fact that when I first got her, she was actually on vermiculite for years. It was back in the 90s where everybody, vermiculite was what everybody was using for tarantulas. They used it dry. It was great for if you needed to keep a moisture-dependent species because obviously vermiculite is great at holding water, so you moisten down part of it. But then we moved away from vermiculite. I got her the next time it was on the old cocoa fiber. And then after that, I rehoused her into something else with cocoa fiber. And I think she was on that till unfortunately the day she died. So all you would do is again you find the boluses that are a lot larger this time you pluck them right out once again they usually drop them look in the corners they're usually in a corner they're um, sometimes around the water dish they will sometimes drop them like we said before in the water dish but they're usually fairly easy to spot and then if you want to so this I've done this before and I've recommended this to people who are like hey you know what I've had them in here for like seven years, eight years, it could even be five years, and I just want to like freshen up a little bit, but I don't want to really go and rehouse. You can actually do a freshen up thing, and what I do is I basically, and let's call this out right now, and this goes for the rest of the podcast whenever we're talking about doing work inside of a tarantula enclosure without removing the tarantula itself. Cardboard is your friend. Get cardboard. Next time you get one of those Amazon packages in, flatten that box out. Keep a couple of them around because they are great for making basically barriers to put between you and the spider. So, for example, if I have, say, a tank that's 12 inches long by 8 by 8, and I want a clean part of that tank, and I have a spider in there that I'm not sure is going to tolerate me fidgeting around inside the tank... What you can do is cut a piece of cardboard so you can block the spider off in a third of that tank, which allows you to work on the other two-thirds of it safely without having to worry about the spider come at you. I've used this for arboreals. I've used this for fossorials. You block off the actual entrance of the burrow. Make sure that if they have two entrances, you block them both off. But it's an easy way of kind of, A, it casts the whole thing in darkness so the spider feels more secure. It doesn't see you. It doesn't sense you. It's obviously, it's going to feel you messing around there. But it does block off some of the, the airflow and such. It makes the spider feel more secure and less inclined to come out and investigate or to charge out because it feels threatened and it again provides a barrier between you and your spider but I've done this before when I want to freshen up I block off part of the enclosure and then I can go in there with a spoon or a cup and scoop out some of the substrate. The top, sometimes what I do is I go take everything off the top because a lot of times what I like to do is I put down, nowadays at least, leaf litter. I've got the moss. Sometimes it's like, you know what, this stuff's looking kind of gnarly. It's got some old webbing on it, some parts of prey, some you see little the prey legs sticking out of it, whatever. I scrape all that off, take an inch or so off the whole thing, replace the substrate on top with fresh substrate, pack it down a little bit, and then sprinkle some more, whether it be leaf litter 
or the moss around it, and then you remove the thing and you have at least a good portion of the tank cleaned, which is something I've used with my M Balfouri. I have to do it again. I went to record it the last time I did it, and I forget what happened. I don't think Billy was home, and I really wanted to get it done, so I just went ahead and did it, but I will show how I do it with that one because that one's a little more complicated because there are several entrances to the burrows and it takes up a lot of the enclosure but I went through and basically took a lot of the stuff off the top and replaced it because they've been in there for a while but I don't have to do a full rehousing with them now if you're doing this and there's a lot of webbing I do not encourage people to take all the webbing out the spiders like their webbing I think there's a lot of us to believe that if you put a spider into a new home and you leave some of that webbing in there they seem to recognize it as their own and they start webbing off of that so, but there are instances where they've webbed along the ground. There could be an old molt mat. There could be just the web strands that they run out to alert them to approaching prey. What I like to do is carefully, very carefully take a knife and cut the webbing as I'm like, so if I'm doing a spot on the ground, I will cut the webbing around the ground so that I can peel it up like almost like a carpet and then get to the substrate underneath as opposed to if you try to pull the webbing out and it's still attached to everything else in the enclosure, even the spots that you have blocked off, it can start pulling all the webbing off there. If you cut it, carefully cut it, you can even use scissors. I've used the Marines, the scissors for fish tanks for trimming the marine plants or whatever. I've used those before to just snip it away. But cut the webbing rather than just rip it out. So that way you can leave a nice little, you can leave some of the webbing in there, but get rid of some of the stuff that may have, you know, the undesirable elements in it. Maybe a bolus, maybe some, again, prey parts, whatever it may be. Maybe you just need to get rid of the substrate underneath it. That's a nice trick for getting that easily out of the way. And honestly, anytime you're working, with webbing a nice way to get it out of there is to cut it use scissors use something i use the knife trick because if i'm cutting into the substrate if the webbing is on top of the substrate it goes in it cuts rather easily but again you got to be very careful if you have a fossorial species that you're not stabbing into the dirt and possibly into the den and harming the spider so be careful there so arid terrestrials obviously the easiest to keep clean of all the spiders one of the reasons why again those are fauna pelma brachypelma gramostola species make great beginners because they're so low maintenance. I mean, you're keeping them dry. You got a water dish in there. There's not a lot of room for things to go wrong. Now, if you're keeping moisture-dependent terrestrials, that's a slightly different story because you're more inclined to have, obviously because of the moisture, the mold, the fungus that just looks a little unsightly. If the boluses, if you don't find the boluses and pluck them out in a timely manner, they will start sprouting mold. They can start decomposing. I've had them dropped in water dishes or behind water dishes, not noticing them. I'm pouring water in. They start to get really gnarly. So that can be an issue. And the fact, as I mentioned before, and like I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, I am one that believes that with the moisture-dependent species, we have to be a little careful and give a little more thought to how often we have to change things out. And the reason why is, in the real world, if I have a spider out in my, say, my backyard, obviously impossible, it's freezing and it gets too cold up here, but you know what I'm saying, if there's a spider out in the wild and it's eating in its burrow, when it rains, the rain goes through, it filters down through all the nasty things that are left behind from eating that prey at them are basically washed away, filtered down through the ground. That doesn't work in most of our enclosures. Now, I know folks are going to go, well, what about bioactive enclosures? In a true bioactive enclosure, which I can honestly say I have not successfully done. I've not even, I know I mentioned a couple of years ago, I got some stuff and put together quote unquote bioactive enclosures. But the more I read about them, the more I realized what I was not putting together were bioactive enclosures. They were more enclosures with living plants in them. And I was trying to keep the plants alive. There's a big difference. I think a lot of us will stick a plant in an enclosure and we'll go, oh, it's a bioactive enclosure now. And it's not. There's, 
a whole, when you create a bioactive enclosure, there is a whole delicately balanced ecosystem of good bacteria that are keeping away the bad bacteria. It is very complicated. At some point, I got to have somebody on to discuss this because it's not what most people are doing or thinking of when they're creating their quote-unquote bioactive enclosures for tarantulas. They're putting a plant in there. They're throwing some leaf litter in there. They're throwing some, I don't know, isopods, some springtails, and they're going, oh, it's bioactive. No, it's not that simple. So I think if the majority of us, this obviously doesn't impact folks that are keeping true bioactive enclosures and again i'm not sure how a lot of the true bioactive enclosures i honestly believe are not particularly appropriate for many species of tarantulas but we'll get into that another day but for those who are keeping them with a plant and this does kind of pertain to you that soil it's it's a small quantity of soil in a plastic or a glass box that we are constantly dumping crickets, praetums, there's biological waste. As much as the tarantulas will eat mostly all of the animals, there's obviously some remains to get into that. It's my thought, and I have spoken to other people that know more about the bacteria that I do, that it's their thought as well that you could get a buildup of harmful bacteria. I know there have been instances, and I've heard this, I've experienced it myself, I've heard it from others that keep the fossorial species or the moisture dependent fossorial species and we'll get to that in a moment where suddenly their animal is up top it's hugging the water dish even though everything's moist and they suddenly die there's a thought out there that the bacteria buildup could create enough harmful bacteria that it could jeopardize the health of the spider so that's something to think about whenever you're keeping your moisture dependent spiders not so much again with the slings not so much with the juveniles because they're not going to be in there long enough that this is probably going to happen but when you have an adult say theraphosa sturmi and you put it in this big giant enclosure and you keep it there and they're going to live a while. So it's going to be in there many years and you're just pouring water in, you're pouring paratums in. This is a big spider. So there's probably a lot of extra drippings and stuff to get into that. There's potential for that substrate to absorb and start fostering cultures of bacteria. And some of those bacteria could be harmful to the spider. That's the thought process behind it. So what we want to start thinking about is with those moisture dependent adults or young adults, the ones that we're keeping in cages or enclosures for years or more is that although we may not see it, there could be a buildup of stuff in there we really don't want. So that's when you have to start thinking, do I need to swap out all of the substrate? Do I, what do I do? So one possible thing you can do, and I've done this a couple times with moisture dependent species where I don't want to take them completely out of the enclosure, but I want to make some changes or, or replace some of the substrate is again, use the cardboard to block them off. So you block off part of the substrate and then you can clean out the substrate in the other half and replace it with fresh substrate. I've done this before. And if you're smart with it, what you can do is replace. So say eventually I'm going to have to clean my T. Sturmy's tag. She's been in there now about a year and a half. She's still pretty good. I don't see any real issues. I do keep part of the enclosure, one side of it a little bit dry and the other side is the moist side. But eventually that moist side is probably going to need to be clean. You can always do the trick where you put a second hide on the other side, the one that's usually got the water. So I don't know, most people I see set their enclosures up like this. I do. Usually one ends your hide, your, your cork park hide, your tunnel, your den. And then on the other end, you put your water bowl or whatnot. You can always take the water bowl out, dig a little starter burrow, put a cork park in there, build that end up, replace the substrate there if you want first, and then do all this. And then shoo the spider over to the other side, 
block it off and clean out all the substrate on the other side. That way you're only replacing half the substrate at a time. Now this obviously would only work with terrestrials. With something that's got to burrow, you're talking about redoing the whole thing. There's no way to really clean out half the substrate with something that's got to burrow. Not safely, not without possibly opening up half the thing, not without possibly burying the spider by accident. But with terrestrials, this is a great way to go through, or even some arboreal species. I've done it before. I had a P. Armenia. Well, I still have her, but back in the day, she had, I put a roach in, the roach died and rotted and made a mess in the corner of the substrate, and I didn't notice it, unfortunately, it kind of gotten behind the moss, and I poured some water in and saw this whole big mess, so I blocked it off, and I cleaned out about two-thirds of the dirt, completely replaced it. I'd also used cocoa fiber at the time, and I wanted something a little better for inside of it, so I replaced it completely, and that works great. So again, think in terms of we don't have to do the whole thing at once, and be careful with it. Obviously, make sure that you know where the spider is, block it off, and do what you need to do. So Again, great way. And this works, let's just throw it out there. It works with any species, honestly. Even when we're talking about the arid ones, if you just decide, hey, I want to clean up one of my arid enclosures that's been there for a while. I did do this with the queen at one point. I took out part of the substrate. I didn't want to disturb her because she was getting old, but I did take out part of the substrate, replace it with new substrate, pack it down. There's nothing to say you can't do it in sections, which means you've at least provided some fresh substrate and a good portion of the enclosure. Again, when in doubt, throw another hide on the other side. So she has two at that point when you need to change the other side at least she's got another place to go so you can change the other side so definitely and as far as terrestrials easier you can kind of piecemeal take out the substrate replace it without having to read and again if somebody wants to just rehouse the spider that's totally fine. I just don't always think it's completely necessary. I think this is a nice kind of trade-off as far as being able to make sure that you're keeping the substrate clean and you're making sure that you don't have a buildup of nasty stuff in there. I think this is a great way to go at it. But of course, if you want to just replace the whole thing, that's fine. They do. The good thing is, is it necessary to replace it all the time? No. Is it wrong to replace it all the time? I think sometimes people do it. Like I've had, I talked to one guy that does it every, or was telling me he was doing it every six months. I'm like, that's kind of disruptive for the spider. Will they eventually settle back in again? Yes. But a lot of times it can take them a long time, especially some of the webbing species, the fossorial species, even some of the terrestrials to really settle in and make it their home. So we don't want to go destroying it all the time. It's, it's completely unnecessary. So if you get to a spot where you're freaking out and you want to change something, that's the way to do it. Do it piecemeal. Do it a section at a time now fossorial moisture dependent again if you're not running a true bioactive enclosure we're not we're throwing out the whole if you're somebody and i do this too so i'm not making fun of anybody you throw a plant in you throw some springtails in you go oh it's bioactive it's not bioactive if you're not running a true bioactive enclosure then again you're going to want to think about cleaning it every once in a while people have asked me how often should you clean or completely replace the substrate in a moisture dependent fossorial i don't know i've talked to people that know a heck of more about this than I do that have said about the year mark is when you want to start thinking about it. It's going to give it enough time to start festering. And about the two-year mark, that might be the part where you're starting to think about, hey, you know what, maybe it's time to rehouse it. I, I, I don't know. This is a new line of thinking as far as I'm concerned about these enclosures because I think a lot of times we put them in there, and I'm sure there's people that are going to say, hey, I've had my fossorial or my moisture-dependent fossorial in the same tank for five years, and I'm sure a lot of people have had no issues with it. But then there are other folks that seem to have these weird deaths and stuff that point to something going on there. I know I've had my Kilobrachis species guangziensis in the same container for probably, oh Lord, maybe five or six years. And I was eyeing it the other day. I'm like, she needs to come out of here. I got It's been there too long. It doesn't seem to be an issue. And I will say, 
I, I think depending on the substrate you use could have some impact. This is back when I was using just straight topsoil, and the topsoil seems to hold up a little bit better. I don't know, though. I, I, that's just a guess. But I am eyeing some of my older fossorial species and thinking, A, it's time to switch out the substrate, get them to something cleaner, and B, I'm going to use that as an opportunity to get them into something nicer. So think of it that way. If you have a moisture-dependent fossorial species, you've had it for a couple of years in the same substrate, it's super moist, Maybe you don't, maybe there's something you change about the enclosure. Maybe you want to put it into a different enclosure. Maybe you want to try a different setup. Use that as kind of a springboard to make it a fun thing because nobody wants to rehouse these guys because they're a pain in the butt to rehouse. And they're usually some of the most defensive spiders that you can have. Those, a lot of old worlds are moisture dependent fossorial. So I get not wanting to do it, but I do think it's something we need to give more thought to. And I'm not going to lie, while I did this, while I'm doing this, I stopped to go see if I could find some nicer enclosures for my two H Gigas and my Kilobrachis Guangziensis. This has been five minutes. I'm just going to throw this out there because normally I don't put this stuff out there. But while I was doing it, I'm like, you know what? I really need to put my money where my mouth is and get them into something better. So I just went searching for enclosures for them because I do want to get them into something nicer. So there, I'm going to practice what I preach and I'm going to get these guys out into something new. So yes, with the moisture-dependent fossorial species, we do not want to mess with them. We want them to burrow. We want them to feel comfortable. I'm not telling people you have to do this every year. I'm not even telling you you have to do it after two years. But I am saying it's something to keep to give thought to and something to keep in mind that when you're dumping that type of, they're eating, there's little prey pieces and organic material dropping down, it's going to create bacteria. I don't think there's any way around it. And by pouring water in, that water doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't filter down through the substrate. It sits there on the bottom. It probably creates what could be a hazardous environment for a spider. So we need to be cognizant of that. Keep that in mind. And give thought to sometimes changing some of that substrate out when needed. Now, Arboreal species. Arboreal species, they love the poo. At least a lot of mine do. They love the poo on the sides of the enclosure. Arboreal poop can become so unsightly. It's always this creamy white tan color and it's always dripping down the glass. I just rehoused two Pisolotheria subfuscas, put them in these beautiful acrylic enclosures, and the acrylic enclosures are just peppered with poop now. And it, a lot of us joke about this because it's it's part of the territory. The avicularia species will do the same thing. I have a bunch of Salmapius cambridgei. They're pooing all over everything. The poo can be very unsightly. The good news is it's mostly not going into the substrate. They're going out and firing it off onto the glass or onto the plastic. They seem to like to do it on the side that faces the sun. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this. They never do the back of the enclosure or the side of the enclosure. It's always the front of the enclosure that's getting the most light. So I don't know if that's their way of saying good morning. Like, hey, good morning, all over. I don't know, but it's. I'm looking at them now. All of them are on the sides facing the, the sides that you want to have clear so that when people come over on those rare occasions and look at your spiders, you can go, oh, there's a spider in there and not have to go, hey, look beyond all that creamy white poop that's dripping from the enclosure here and there's a spider back there. So how can we get rid of the poop? A, the substrate, not as big of a deal. I think once again, the same thing with moisture-dependent species goes with the arboreal moisture-dependent species, I do think we need to be cognizant of those bacterial levels. The fact that if that substrate's in there, it gets pretty gnarly. I have a bunch of Salmapia species that have been in the Exoterra Nano Mini Talls or Minis, whatever the heck they are. The 8 by 8 by 12 inch ones for quite some time now, and the substrate's just a disaster. Like, it's just, it's it needs to be cleaned out. So I'm going to be redoing, the, probably taking the spider out, redoing the whole thing. It's a little harder to do the substrate replacement where you block them off with that. Although, like I said earlier, I did it with my Armenia, so it is possible. But the poop tends to be the real thing. Now, how do you clean the poop? Well, glass, it's simple. 
Razor blades, make them, buy some, the what the painters ones are the kind of rectangular ones. You can buy the scrapers that use the paint, uh, to scrape paint from a window when you get the paint on the window when you're painting. They have a little slide out razor blade. Those work great. And then go in there. If it's the door of one of those Exoterra Nanos, really easy. Open the door, block the opening with a piece of cardboard, scrape that poopy right off. Make sure you put something underneath it to catch the flakes of powdered poopy that'll be peeling off of it and then clean it off that way. Then what I usually do is spray it with some warm water. I have a spray bottle filled with warm water. Spray it, copious amounts of warm water. Again, put paper towels underneath it so it's not dripping all over wherever you're at. And then carefully clean it off with the paper towels if it's glass. Glass is easy as heck to clean. And this is why I envy some of our European hobbyists because it seems like there's a lot more glass enclosures or at least glass enclosure options over there than there are in the U.S. We tend to have the Exoterra Nanos. We have some tanks and stuff. The Exoterra, not the, just the Nanos, the all the Exoterra ones, the glass tanks, but there isn't, it's, there aren't as many of them over here. The acrylics seem to be all the rage, which I like the acrylics, but we'll get into why those are a pain in the butt in a minute. But the glass, you go in there, you scrape that stuff off. You could do the same thing if you have, if you're using cork bark rounds and the spider is using the round for hide, A, make sure it doesn't have an escape out the bottom. A lot of times it looks like the escape, the only entrance way is from the top, but they'll also have one on the bottom. Block that off. You can go in there, clean that whole enclosure up. And again, just go in, scrape the poop, spray it with a little warm water, wipe it off with some paper towels and, or, or rag, and you're good to go. It's, it's easy as that. And again, cardboard's your friend. Use the cardboard, block the spider off. That way you don't have to completely take the thing out. Should you make, let me make it very, very clear, because I, I, I know I've kind of, I believe I've made this clear, but just to reiterate, never go in there and try this cleaning thing without blocking off that spider. That is not a good move. You do not want a spider coming out feeling threatened, your hands enclosed in with the spider in a, a tight area. Not a good idea. Always make sure that the spider is safely secured. If you have to, if you don't want to do it that way, if you have to, and you, you got a good shot at getting this, you know, capturing the spider and getting out of there, do that. I just don't think it's necessary. Just make sure you have that spider blocked off with cardboard. And again, when you're cleaning the enclosure walls, whether you're scraping it or spraying it and wiping it, I like to roll up some paper towel, like a little scrunch up some paper towels in the bottom and put them right around the substrate line, right up against the side of the enclosure. So when that stuff eventually kind of rolls down and drips down, it doesn't go into the substrate because you don't want to really scrape off all the poo and just leave it on the substrate. The idea is to get the poo out of there. So if you put some paper towels in there, moist paper towels and scrape it off. It'll stick to the moist paper towels. You can pull it out. Or if you're spraying it off and wiping it off that way, put some dry paper towels underneath it. That way it's, it's, it's catching everything. So it's not going right into the substrate. Not that it would be all that bad spider poo. If you see it, it's, it's not a big deal. Kind of chalky white stuff, but let's be as clean as possible and keep it from just going from the sides of the enclosure and into the substrate. Now, if you're using Sterilite enclosures or some of those plastic enclosures, not necessarily the acrylic ones, but like the M-Design or maybe the Barbarous Growth, which I'm in love with just because of the name. I, I can't get over the Barbarous Growth. Actually, okay, full disclosure, I like the Barbarous Growth enclosures. I just can't, I love the packaging. It's amazing. But anyway, if you're using one of those, then you're not going to be able to use the razor blade. That's too risky. You're going to end up scratching it. So what you'll want to do again is the warm water trick. I, I encourage people to fill up a spray bottle, nice warm water, as warm as you can get it. Spray the snot out of it. Again, have paper towels underneath to catch the drip-offs and then carefully clean it off. It's usually those, I mean, with sterile containers, who cares if they get scratched up? I don't know how easy they really scratch with their milky to begin with, so it's not like you're going to be ruining the, the visibility. So just wipe away. Don't even worry about it. And with the M-Design, again, I found them to be rather resilient when it comes to scratching. They hold up really well. I've got a lot of them that I've used now like three different times. So that means they've been filled with dirt and cleaned out 
three different times and they still look real. I'm, you can hear my voice probably trailing off because I'm turning around looking. They still look great. So those seem to hold up a lot better. Also, I have these other ones that I forget what the material is, but I get these boxes off of Amazon and those hold up really well. So again, you don't want to go crazy. You want to be careful if there's one thing to be careful of with that. If you look and there's dust, like dust or sand or anything stuck to the side of the enclosure, you want to kind of blow that off there. Uh, gently use a rag or a paper towel to brush it off before you start spraying it. Because what happens is if there's a bunch of dirt on there already, you spray it and you start scrubbing that, you're going to scrub that dirt right into it, scratch the heck out of it. So always be careful with that. But Sterile enclosures, the regular plastic enclosures, not really that difficult to clean. Just go in there with some warm water, some paper towels, a rag, microfiber. We'll get to that in a moment if you need to, and then clean it up and clean the poo off. It's really not that difficult. Now, acrylic enclosures. Here's where it becomes fun. Acrylic enclosures are very, very easily scratched. I have a lot of people, I, I use a lot of acrylic enclosures. I like them. I've had good luck, and we'll get into how to clean the actual enclosures when we're in between spiders in a moment. I've had a lot of luck keeping mine from getting horribly scratched, but it's not that difficult to do. So I've had folks that are over in Europe that use a lot more Glass enclosures come over and go, how do you guys use those things? They're terrible. They get scratched. I get it. I really do. I've had good luck with them, but I get it. Here's the deal. You want to be very careful with the acrylic enclosures. Again, when we're talking about making sure there's no dust on it ahead of time, you really want to make sure you carefully brush it off. You know, I like to hit it with a little rag, kind of get all the dust off it, then spray it down, let the water run down so it's carrying some of those particles with it, then carefully go through and clean it with warm water. And you're going to want to use that microfiber cloth because, again, it's super easy to scratch them. So you got to be careful and you can't use the razor blades with them. So put the razor blades away. That's not going to work. You're going to have to clean them off using the microfiber, some warm water. That's about it. And of course, even then, they're so they're so easily scratched, it, 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 accidents are going to happen. So it's funny, right before we did this podcast, I was looking at some of the enclosures, coming up with my notes and everything, and I noticed it was one of my Pisolotherius subfuscas, I can't remember if it was a Highland or Lowland, decided to poo cannon the top of the enclosure. And it's one of those sliding magnetic top ones, so I took the sliding top out, again, slid in a piece of cardboard to block it and cleaned it off and I have one little scratch there must have been a little grain of sand or something made a little scratch now, I, I'm not that concerned with it I don't usually look at them from the top anyway and these already the tops are very well ventilated there's a bunch of holes in the top so it's not a big deal but that could easily happen to the front of the enclosure that's your money spot that's where you're going to look and see the spiders so yes there's it's difficult to clean the acrylic enclosures but it's not impossible and it's I've had good luck with again cleaning them without scratching them up now We've talked about how to do it with as far as, you know, the arboreals, fossorials, how to little tricks to how to clean little portions of substrate here and there with the, the arboreal species. It's usually it's not as difficult because, again, they're pulling all over the side of the enclosure. The trick is finding those boluses and getting them out of there. Same thing as with all the rest of them. So I think we've covered all of that. Now, how do you I've had a lot of people ask me, how do you actually clean your enclosures like when, you, when you're taking the spider out, you've done a rehousing video, what do you do with that old enclosure? So first things first, I, the best tip I can give anybody, and I figured this out when I was at my old house back in the day, I was trying to get, I had a brand new acrylic enclosure and I put a mature male in it. So he didn't last very long. I thought this guy was going to be in it for five, six years. Unfortunately, he was only in it for about a year. And then I'm like, now what do I do? I filled this thing with dirt. How do I get this dirt out of there and not scratch the heck out of it? Invest in a nice wet, dry shop vac get a very nice wet dry shop vac try to find i have a basically a brush for it that is like hair it's not those like 
synthetic, hard, scratchy bristles. It's hair, which is very, like it won't scratch up your enclosure. Get one of those, a nice brush for it. And use that. What I do is I loosen up the substrate in the bottom of the acrylic enclosure. So you go in there with a pencil or a back of a spoon or something. And a lot of times if the substrate's in there, it's packed in really well. So loosen that all up real nice. And then you go in there with a shop vac and you suck it all out. Take it all out. Don't even bother trying to dump it out. When you dump it out, that dirt sliding over that acrylic, my Lord, does it make a mess out of it. I did it once a while back and regretted it ever since. Go in there, loosen it up, shop vac, nice, soft animal hair brush if you can get it. Get everything out of there you can. Then when it comes time to clean it, you cannot use harsh chemicals. I do not advise using any type of detergent or chemicals. What I like to do is soak it in a mixture of warm water and white vinegar and try to get the rest of those particles off, kind of allow it to sit, get the poop, loosen up the poop, loosen up any particles around there. Then when you dump out the water, you can either shop back it out or what I usually do is I dump it out the back of the enclosure. So you, again, you want to keep this stuff from scratching the front of the enclosure, just dump it out the back of the enclosure. I haven't had many issues with this, but if anything were to get scratched, then it's going to be on the back. And then you carefully go through with a microfiber cloth and some water and just loosen up any of the rest of that poop that's on there. That's how I clean my acrylic enclosures. I have one now that I'm looking over at that I've used three times that a tiny scratch here and there, it's still in really good shape because I'm extra careful when I clean it. Now, a lot of people are probably thinking that sounds like a big pain in the butt. Thank God I use glass. And you're right, glass is a lot more durable. I totally get it. But I do like the acrylic enclosures. And because of that, it's worth a little extra effort. So that would be my trick to how to clean out those enclosures. I've had people go, how do you get the dirt out of there and not ruin them? The vacuum, man, go with the vacuum. It works great. And if you don't currently have gallons of white vinegar on hand, I would go to Walmart or wherever you get your white vinegar. I've got a few gallons in my garage at any given time. I use that to clean everything. It works wonderfully for it. When you're done, when you've cleaned everything out, just give it a really good rinse. doesn't have to be warm water. Just rinse the heck out of it. Let it air dry or blot it dry with a microfiber cloth. I do not use paper towels, again, on my acrylics. I'm extra careful. I have a bunch of microfiber cloths I use. And again, I've had really good luck without scratching the heck out of them. A little more work than a glass? Absolutely. Glass, you know, if I'm cleaning out one of my exoterras, I go out in the garage, I go out with the razor blade, wash it off real quick, done, we're ready to go. With the acrylics, it does take a little more work, but... They really are good looking, so I, I personally think it's worth a little extra effort. I enjoy it. Like, I'll go out, and a lot of times I'll do it. I, I do a lot of these in the summertime. If I'm, like, in the winter doing rehousings, I'll put the acrylics aside, and then I wait till it's warmer weather to go out and do it outside. It's a lot easier to get the hose out there, hose them all down. But and, and if there's folks out there going, this is why I don't use acrylics, I don't blame you. I'm not trying to convince you you should use acrylics. This is for folks that have them because they are super popular, especially over here in the States. That's how I go about cleaning. Now, the other thing that I have people ask me about is the webbing. The webbing can be a pain in the butt, but it usually rubs right off. Again, you just got to be a little careful when you're rubbing it, but it usually pills all up. So if you have a bunch of webbing on the side of the enclosure, you moisten it down, you kind of go in a circular pattern, it all kind of balls up and you can get it off that way. I've had no problems with the webbing. Cleaning cork bark. That's something we haven't talked about. I, it just popped up because I was thinking, wait a minute, when do I get webbing off things? I usually buy brushes for my cork bark. I have these brushes that have like st stiff bristle brushes and I will take my cork bark out when I use them because I do reuse the cork bark, soak it in some water, wash as much of the stuff off that I can, then I go at it with the brush, clean off any webbing, clean off any poop, 
Warm water in the sink. Again, no detergents. No, I don't use any of the vinegar for that. Clean them off. Let them air or sun dry. They're usually fine. Now, substrate. I've had folks ask me if I reuse substrate. 99.9% .9 of the time, I do not reuse substrate. It kills me sometimes because especially when I started using the BioDude stuff, you buy this stuff, you fill it in a closure with it, you know how much it costs. The next thing you know, it, you're dumping it in a pile in your backyard. Um, usually I don't reuse it. There are cases, there are a couple cases where I've had like terrestrials where they haven't been in it very long. I will scrape off the top layers, put a fresh layer on top of it. I've only done that a handful of times though. Normally I toss it out with new world species. You know, you have to think about the hairs and such. I don't want another spider's hairs in there. I, I don't think they're harmful to them, but it doesn't sound like a very hospitable situation. Here you go. Here's a place where there was obviously another tarantula before. So you want to get those hairs out of there. And it allows you to clean out the whole enclosure, get those out of there. Webbing, I like to get webbing out of there, obviously. If, if we feel like they can recognize their own webbing, I often wonder if they can't, you know, recognize webbing that is not theirs. Like, hey, wait a minute, this is mine. What's going on here, which could cause stress. I don't know if I'm overthinking it, but it's just things that go through your mind when you set up these enclosures. So I normally do not reuse substrate. I have a big pile in my backyard. Man, my old house, it was one that had to be like three feet tall with all this substrate we dumped. We had this spot in the corner of our yard under a tree that I started dumping substrate there. Huge pile when we left. But yeah, I don't reuse it. I have spoken to people that have. I guess it would really depend on the species. I wouldn't obviously do it with a moisture-dependent species. It, my theory is you can always buy more dirt. It's not all that expensive, especially especially if you're not using the expensive premium stuff like a BioDude. If you're just using topsoil, cocoa fiber, whatever, that's easy enough to pick up. I like starting everything from scratch. Brand new, clean enclosure, brand new substrate. Let the spider go in there, start its new home without having to worry about it, possibly detecting that there was another spider there before. Now, in situations where... There is an extra lot of poo on the side of the enclosure, especially when you're talking about the acrylic types. I do have a big Tupperware bin that obviously if you're using one of these premium enclosures, they're ventilated. There's holes all on the side. So it's kind of hard to soak them. So what I do is I have this big Tupperware bin that I will fill with warm water. I will put them inside that and weight them down so that they basically soak in the water, which really helps to loosen all of the stuff on them all the the cake on whether it be webbing or old poo or whatever and it allows you to kind of clean out the enclosure like if you got it inside this big bin full of water it allows you to kind of clean out that stuff with uh, reducing the risk of scratching it by having particles on the side so if you're in the water and you're swishing around the water it's a natural way of kind of getting loosening and moving those particles without you rubbing them into the side of the enclosure using your hand or a microfiber so another tip there have a big bin that you can fill up with water Go out there, dump those enclosures in, soak them for a while, loosen up that poo, make life easier for yourself. As a matter of fact, when I have to do sling enclosures, a lot of times what I will do is I will take a bunch of sling enclosures at once, dump all the dirt out of them, and then soak them for a while in something which, again, loosens everything up, and then I clean them right out, and I use like a big old sink and clean them out. So that's all I can think about as far as cleaning right now. I, I feel like this is going to be one of those ones where I'm going to post it up. And I'm going to obviously, what I want to hear from you guys is what do you do? How do you clean them? How do you clean your acrylics? How do you, do you have any tips for people out there? I don't have all the answers. I just have what I use, but I'm assuming other people have other things to do. Let's hear it. Let's share it. Let's leave comments and let people know what we do. I feel like I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm looking at my notes here. What am I missing? I'm sure I forgot something. So let's hear it. What did I miss? What do you guys do that's different? Do you guys use something else to clean them with? I want your tips and tricks. And I think everybody else out there wants their tips and tricks. And this would be a nice one to start the next podcast off with if people have other tips and tricks that they use to say like, all right, you know what? I gave you what I have. Here are some other things we got. So please chime in on this one. 
I am shocked I made it through this. I got to be honest. I'm going to become completely clean here. About 10 minutes into this podcast, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I just, I felt like I had to cough the entire time. Feeling pretty good now. So I'm glad I did it. I'm I'm proud of myself. There, can I say that? I didn't, I, this morning I was like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then I got that email. I'm like, come on, you really don't feel that bad. And I honestly feel better now. So thank you for listening to me yammer on about how to clean spider poop off of enclosures. There's something most people don't hear in their life or have to worry about in their lives. I love it because we're having conversations with my kids the other day. A new batch of kids just discovered I have a YouTube channel and it's always funny when they do so because it's, it's like, oh, you do YouTube? And then they look at it like, oh, dude, you're like legit. And that was one of the kids today. Like, you actually have subscribers. Like, yes, I actually have subscribers. And one was like, you have a podcast? And then we had a really cool conversation about like what I do, why I do it. And they, they're all, they can't understand the whole doing the YouTube thing without getting monetized. Like, do you make money? How much money do you make off it? And I'm like, I don't do it for money. I said, I don't, I try to explain to them, for me, this is a hobby. If it becomes a business, I won't do it anymore. I don't need a business. I don't want a business. I want something to to spend my free time doing that I enjoy. I want something to blow my money on and enjoy. Like, that's what hobbies are about. And it was great because someone started to really appreciate, like, man, I really respect that. So it was cool. We had a really good conversation about it. And they were going on and on about it. And then then the questions came. And you start getting all the questions about like, oh, and this is going to be a future podcast, actually, because it really got me thinking about like the questions you get when people find out that you're into tarantulas. And they were talking, one of the kids actually brought up the poop part. Like, how do they poop? What does it look like? And a couple of the kids giggled. And then we talked about how it's like watery, like bird poop. Really cool conversation. But anyway, that kind of led to this because we were talking about that and cleaning cages. I talked about cleaning the cages and I talked about how they poop all over the front of the cages and it just, it was neat because it kind of led to this podcast. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with this. This is one of my tangents, but it did give me a good idea for this podcast because immediately I was like, oh, that's right. I was going to do a cleaning one and it gave me an idea for next podcast, which will be a fun one. So shout out to the LS Tech kids. If anybody's listening to it, I, I think I have a handful of kids actually listen to my podcast, which cracks me up because I would think this would be boring as heck for anybody that doesn't know anything about spiders, but apparently they get a kick out of it. So that's awesome. So that will do it for this one. Um, as always, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. I just posted up a video on YouTube. I didn't do one last week. I did a short. And that was the other thing that came up. My kids like, oh, you haven't posted in a week. I didn't realize the shorts don't go up as videos anymore. So it looks like I haven't posted in a week when I did. I just put up a short. So I didn't want to miss another week. So we did my, I, I put out a shout out on YouTube for folks to let me know spiders they wanted updates on because I figure now that they have the shorts thing, that'd be a cool way to do update. A little one minute update on a spider where maybe it doesn't warrant an entire video. And I just pop out, catch some footage of the spider, talk a bit about it. And a lot of people said G Polker Bees, which was one I had when I had to rehouse anyway. So I'm like, you know what? Let me do a quick rehousing update video. So anybody wants to see one of my beautiful G Polker Bees, hopefully females, uh, she's up there. That one's up there now. Um, that will about do it for this one. Oh, you can find me, obviously, Thomas Big Spires podcast. Thomas Big Spires podcast. Thomas Big Spires podcast. That's where you can go and comment on this one. And I apologize for folks. I, I have to activate all the comments. That's the protection they have against spam. And I think I'm a little behind on that. I apologize. It was a really rough week. Not only at work, I actually took off my first sick day. I took my first sick day in six years. this week because I felt like total garbage. I'm like, I don't want to go in and infect people. So I took a day off, but uh, I will get on to those as soon as I get done with this podcast and it's uploading, I'll get on and and activate those and respond to them. So thank you for everybody that takes the time to comment. No, I am reading them. It's just this weird system where a lot of times I'm at work, I get the email notifications, I read the comment and then I forget sometimes to go back and activate it. So I'll get on that. Sorry for anybody that's waiting for a, a response. That will do it for this one. As always, guys, stay safe, stay healthy. My gosh, there's a lot of sicknesses out there, and I will catch you all next week.